My name's Josh, and I'm an alcoholic. I'm nervous. <laughs> um, told a couple people I was nervous before the meeting, and Nick said that if I got up here and started having trouble, he could get up here and tell you how it really works. And uh, Spike told me just not to throw up up here, and uh, I'm going to try to do that. <clears throat> Let me take that off there too. <laughs> I'm supposed to tell you what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now, and my sponsor told me to tell the truth, so I'm going to try to do my best to do that. I always, uh, the one time I thought I had a really hard life growing up, and when I look back on it today, I really wasn't that bad. There were just a few things that I didn't like, and all I could see was how I was wronged in life, and and all that matters is what I saw. And uh, I just kind of lived my life that way. Just not very happy, always trying to fit in and not ever being able to because, really because of other people. Because it was always everyone else's fault growing up. And nothing really, really exciting ever happened growing up except uh, really nothing until I started drinking. Um, <laughs> I took... Uh, took my first drink of alcohol when I was 13, and it tasted horrible. Uh, it was just a beer. I couldn't finish it. Um, the first time I got drunk, I was 14. I remember I was at a friend of mine's house. His mom had bought us a case of beer. And I sat down, and we just started drinking one after the other. And after about four or five, I just started feeling so good. And everything that I had been worrying about my whole life growing up, everything that I was mad about just didn't matter anymore. I was happy. Um, there was peace in my life. And nothing else mattered. Just all my problems went away. So that really became <clears throat> the first uh, passion I ever really had in my life. I loved alcohol because of what it did to me and for me. And from that point on, every chance I got, I just drank more and drank again as often as I could. Um, things slowly progressed through high school. Um, I started using a lot of drugs, and that started causing more problems in my life. I found it easier to use drugs in high school than drink because people always couldn't smell it and I just couldn't get in as much trouble. I thought I could hide it better. So that was in and out of my story a lot along with the drinking. And I was first introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous when I was 18 years old. Uh, I went home from school one day. My mom had changed all the locks on the house. Uh, she had gotten tired of all her stuff coming up missing. And... I lived in my car. I was lucky to have a station wagon back then. It was pretty roomy. And I lived in that for a couple weeks, and then she finally caught up to me at my grandmother's house, and she brought a guy named Buck over to talk to me. And he sat down there at the kitchen table, told me about his life, and he talked me into going to a treatment center, Summer Sky, down in Stephenville. So I went with him down there for a month. I got out. I moved to Wichita Falls to a halfway house. I lived there for a few months, got out and moved home. Stayed sober a couple months. I went to meetings when I lived in Wichita Falls because it was required and that's what everyone else was doing. But I stopped going when I came back here. I just, I had never had any intentions of ever staying sober at that point. I was just, I needed a place to live. It would help me get back in good with my family. So that's what I did. And I came back and I, lived with my sister for a little while, and then 
I just started drinking again. Um, because again, it was the only thing that I could ever find that could bring any happiness into my life. And that went on until my girlfriend caught me. Um, <clears throat> she had kind of put her foot down when I went to rehab the first time and said, you know, if you're going to do that, I'm not going to stay with you. And I started dating her when I was 15 years old, and it seemed like that was the the first thing besides alcohol that was good in my life. It, I always thought if if that relationship was okay, I would be okay. Or if she was happy, I could be all right. I put a lot of dependence on that relationship and continued to do that for probably eight years after that. But <clears throat> she caught me and gave me an ultimatum. She said, you can go back or we're through right now. So she called Buck and Buck met us in the middle of the night at uh, Whataburger in Weatherford and he took me back to Summer Sky. I was there for another month, moved out, went back to Wichita Falls, back to the same halfway house, lived there for a few months and decided to stay there, decided to stay away from Fort Worth and Weatherford where I grew up. I thought maybe if I was just not ever around those people that I could be okay and, and life would be different and life would be better. I thought I could sort things out to where my life would be somewhat successful. And I moved out. I got an apartment with a friend of mine that I went to rehab with the first time. He was still sober going to AA. And I started working at the halfway house that I had lived in at night. So during the day, I could just go to meetings all day and then work there at night. And I did that for... I guess about 18 months, and I'd go to four or five meetings a day. I'd be there at night, and there just wasn't any time to to get in trouble. Um, not really any time to do anything that was too wrong because I was surrounded by people that were in recovery. But I never went all the way through the steps. I was never willing to to live my life any other way than what I thought I should live it. I made a couple half-assed attempts at the steps. I asked a few different people to sponsor me, and I actually did a fourth and fifth step once with this guy, but that was that was all I did. Um, I just left it at that. And life wasn't working out there too well, so I moved back home and started coming up here to the glass house for the first time. I came up here because uh, my girlfriend came to al up here, and I hated this place. I, I hated the people. I couldn't, I just didn't believe much of what anyone said. People were in here talking about being so happy and their life was good. And I hadn't drank for almost two years at this time and my life wasn't good and I was not happy. Um, I asked Adam D to sponsor me. He started taking me through the steps and I just didn't like having that authority in my life. I thought it was an authority of him telling me what to do. So I fired him, and a couple weeks later I relapsed. And I planned it out that I was going to relapse because I was 20 years old, and my 21st birthday was coming up, and I'd always dreamed, you know, I'm going to turn 21. I'm going to be able to go out to bars. I'm going to have fun. I'll be an adult. Everything will be all right. And I always thought I was an alcoholic. I kind of knew I was. The first time I went to rehab, they talked to all about the disease, and now we always have it. And that's one thing that I could relate to in here. When people would talk about their drinking days and blacking out and a lot of the bad stuff that happens in their lives, I could relate to that, and I knew I was an alcoholic. Um, 
but I just thought I could manage my life. That was the part that I, I couldn't get with step one. I still had ideas of what of what I could do to make life work. And <clears throat> I really didn't think I just intended to stay drinking just a short time and then come back in. And it lasted almost two years out there drinking again. And the things that I couldn't relate to, um, the ideas that I had to manage my life, I tried those things and, and they didn't work. Uh, they kept falling apart. I got married, and that's really when I started to realize how unmanageable my life was. I had a lot of nights. <laughs> the majority of my nights, I was either coming home about 4 o'clock in the morning, trying to get home before she woke up and went to work so I could avoid that confrontation, or I was waking up somewhere maybe a day or two later from when I left home. And I started blacking out a lot, but <clears throat> I was always having fun doing it. I could always drink enough and just be around that certain crowd of people to where I could have a good time and everything was all right. But the problems that I was having was when I'd have to go home or when I would wake up and and there was life and all my problems and how much crap was in it was just there and there was nothing I could do about it. And the only thing I wanted to do was drink. I'd just wake up so scared and and immediately just get so angry because there's nothing I could do and my mind was telling me well it's because of my wife you know she was different if I didn't have to you know go away every time I drank you know things might be better you know if uh, just it was all always everyone else's fault um, but from being in AA before and listening to people share and I had a bunch of AA tapes and when I would drink I would get a case of beer and drive around and listen to AA tapes and I couldn't find some place to go and something that they always said was they got to some place where they said God help me and something happened and then they got sober they came to AA and their life was better so I started praying for God to help me I saw I wanted I don't know if I really wanted to stop drinking at that point. I just wanted my life to stop being so bad. I started feeling really just hating myself. I came home one morning and uh, my wife was sitting on the floor with a phone in a phone book crying because she didn't know where I was. She was calling police stations and hospitals trying to find me. And she was just scared to death and I felt like crap and uh, just so much guilt and shame. And I went in my room, I laid down, went to bed, and I got up, and I went and did the same thing, because waking up with those feelings, that was the only thing that would take it away. And just things like that, not being able to be around my family um, for more than about half an hour, just being so uncomfortable around them. Um, I wanted all that to stop, and I wanted to keep drinking. I think that's what I was trying to manage for for everyone that I thought was important in my life to be okay with me and me still be able to go drink. But when that wasn't happening, I started asking God to help me, asking uh, God to stop me eventually. Um, the last week I drank, I think, when I would either wake up somewhere or when I'd be driving home, I'd be saying, God, please stop me because I can't. And I really wanted him to. And my last day drinking was started out just like any other day and <clears throat> I ended up at a friend's house and I don't 
I'm not really sure what happened that night. I don't know if it was real or imagined, but it was real to me. And I thought that this friend of mine was going to kill me. And it just, I was scared. So I go to leave his house, get in my car, and I run it into a ditch, and it's stuck. And I hop out, and I'm hearing things. I hear somebody say, I'm going to kill him. And my car's stuck, and I'm panicking and just freaked out. So I just start running down the highway. Um thinking that this guy's going to kill me. And I just, for the first time in my life, I realized that living that lifestyle that I was living, that I could die. It never crossed my mind before. Um, I crossed it one time before, about a month before that. I was uh, using IV drugs and overdosed, and I flopped for about three minutes and realized, hey, I can die from that. <laughs> so I was able to stop that. And uh, But this happened with drinking, and... And I was just so scared, and I was running. And I, I thought it was a few miles I ran, but I drove by there sober with uh, with Nick and Chrissy, and it's maybe a quarter mile. But I think it was long because I was making zigzags from the highway and back out, jumping over fences and getting cut up. But I just I thought I was going to die, and I started praying God to, to save me. I said, God, please don't let it end like this. And I promise I'll change. I'll, I'll, I'll not do this anymore. And I don't ever remember saying a, another foxhole prayer my whole life, but I said it that night and I meant it. And part of why I'm still here today is because of that deal with God, because He did save my life, and and life is so good today. And I know it's all because of God, but uh, I I got to my house. I started banging on the door. This guy came out. It was probably about one in the morning maybe and uh he called the cops because i just started screaming they're trying to kill me they're trying to kill me that's all i could say and he called the cops and the cops came and got me and took me to jail for uh public intoxication and disorderly conduct when i got there they said who's chasing you and and i kind of looked at them and it's like they're because i still thought someone was was out there trying to get at me and they said there was nobody there so I just said, I'm just drunk. I'm just drunk. That's all I said. And they took me to jail. I still kind of freaked out in there. And they uh, strapped me down to a wheelchair and stuck me in a room by myself. And when I finally calmed down a couple hours later, I was able to look out back through the day and see how God had answered my prayer. See how God had just arranged that night to scare me enough to to seek God and to come back into AA willing to do this deal. And uh, my wife got me out of jail one more time, and she says she didn't. She brought the, the preacher that got me out of jail, so I say she didn't. But uh, <laughs> I called her and I got out of jail. But <laughs> just like the other two times. But anyway, I... I came back up to the glass house and I think the reason that I came back to the glass house because I hated it so much before and I hated the people and I thought you were all liars but when I was when I had relapsed uh, Jim Williams died and I went to the funeral with Carissa and the people that were getting up there talking about his life it just touched me and I knew that that's how I wanted to die that's how I wanted to go, and I knew that he had gotten it from here and from Alcoholics Anonymous. So I came back here to the glass house willing to give it a shot, and 
knew I had to get a sponsor, knew I had to go through the meetings. And the first night I was here, I just didn't see anybody that I wanted to sponsor me because of the old resentments that I had from from the last time. And the next day I was at a new meeting and uh, I saw Gary. He was here. And something inside just said, you know, that's him. Ask him to sponsor you. And then he was getting up before the meeting was over to leave. And I got upset because I didn't want to get up and have people look at me while I was leaving to go catch him. So the meeting ended and I went outside and he was sitting in his car. I think Martha was talking to him. And I went up and asked him if I could talk to him for a minute. And he told me to get in his car and walk. Drove around to the back and I just asked him to sponsor me. And uh, he asked what I was willing to do, and I said, I'm willing to do anything. You know, I want you to tell me what to do, where to go, what to read, what to write. You know, just tell me what to do. And he said, well, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to tell you what I've done. And if you want what I have, you can do it. And you can have your own experience. And he had what I wanted. He'd been sober five years at the time. And that's all I wanted was just to be sober. I had accepted the fact that if my life was going to be miserable, it'd be okay if I was sober because I don't want to die that way, and I don't want to. I don't want to not continue my part of the deal I made with God. Um, we started going through the steps really fast. He told me to get my big book out and start reading it and highlighting everything I could relate to. I did that. We got together and we started going over it. He shared. Uh, just started sharing his experience with me. Um, <clears throat> he talked about how his life had been unmanageable and how he was powerless over alcohol, and I could relate to that. And because he was so open in sharing his life with me, I was willing to open up my life and uh, start sharing things with him. And I didn't have any problems believing in God uh, when I got here. I my ideas about God were kind of messed up, um, as opposed to how they are now. It's a lot different. I have a lot stronger awareness, and my belief is is different. But he had me write down a list of what I would want my God to be, and I did that. And he pointed out that uh, nobody would ever tell me what to believe, that I could just have my own God and my own understanding. And that's something that I really liked about Alcoholics Anonymous. I grew up in a church of Christ and had a lot of resentments there. Um, I don't know if they were, I don't think they were saying it, but I just believed when I was a kid, if people didn't go to the church of Christ or if they didn't go to church, they were going to hell. And I would meet kids and feel sorry for them if they didn't go to a church of Christ because I just, I knew they were going to hell. <laughs> and <clears throat> my first trip, uh, to Summer Sky on Sundays, they have an option. They'll let you go to church. They'll take you on a bus to church if you want to. And they took us to a Baptist church, which I had heard bad stuff about my whole life. And and I got in there, and they were saying the same things that the Church of Christ was saying, pretty much. You know, they had musical instruments, and that was weird. But, you know, it just it made me realize that I thought I had been lied to, pretty much. So I didn't want to have anything to do with church. But... I really liked the idea of having my my own conception of God, and I was very willing to to turn everything over to God. It's it just makes sense when when I knew for a fact that me living my life the only way that I know how to live it was going to kill me. There was nothing I could do about it. That made me willing to to turn it over to God, and 
we sat down, we stopped, talked about step three a lot. He talked a lot about willingness. And he said, if there was a way for me just to say a prayer and have God take over my life completely, that I wouldn't need Alcoholics Anonymous, I wouldn't need him. I could just say the prayer and God would change me. And I'd be happy, joyous, and free and be a good person and all those things. But he said that the only way that he found that he could turn his will and life over to God was to go through the rest of the steps. And if I made this decision and said the prayer with him that I had to go through the steps that we wouldn't be waiting around at all. He said that uh, if we did this and I wasn't willing to take the action going through the steps that uh, he wouldn't sponsor me. And I told him I was willing. After a meeting one night in here, we got down on our knees, said the third step prayer. And I felt something that night. I felt just this good feeling wash over me that I knew that I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. And I just, I had so much hope that this thing would work. And after that, we read out of the big book some. He told me how to start my fourth step. He made it real simple. He said, just go home and start writing down everybody that you're mad at. Any person, place, or thing that you've ever been mad at ever. And I was a pretty angry person when I got here. So that was going to be pretty easy. I went home and in a day I had my whole list of names and places on there. I talked to him the next day. He said, just write down why you were mad. I wrote down why I was mad. He said, write down, you know, how it affected you. I did that. And then the fourth column I kind of had a hard time with. Um... I took and I warned him, I said, Gary, there are people on here that I did nothing to and I was just wrong and I was screwed and and they messed up my life. And he said, Well just don't worry about that, just pray about it and, and do the best you can to to write down what you think your part is. He said, uh ask God to to let me see the truth. So I prayed before I wrote and, and there were just a couple things on there that I couldn't find something that that I did wrong. But later on in the fifth step, he, he helped me see the things that I did wrong. Um, I think my, my biggest resentment was against my dad. Uh, my parents divorced when I was 11 months old, and he moved away, and I didn't meet him until I was probably six or eight years old. He moved back to Texas, and we, me and my sisters would go see him every other weekend. And it was great at first. I had a dad. He he took me fishing, you know. He'd take me skiing. He'd, you know, do, do father-son stuff. He he taught me how to shoot. And it was just, at that point, I, I almost thought life was going to be complete because I had my dad in my life. But that ended up being not not what I had expected it to be. I had these ideas in my brain that I wasn't even aware of, but this is kind of how life's going to be now. And it just didn't end up that way. He did, he wasn't the dad that I thought he should be. And, uh, he's, he said some mean things and, uh, did some mean things. And when I was, uh, 15, I got the choice to whether I could go over there or not. And I just stopped going over there to see him. And I didn't talk to him for eight years until I got sober this time. Didn't have anything to do with him. I ran into him actually one time at a car wash in Weatherford. Just scared me to death. I got out of there and left and uh, just had no desire to to have anything to do with him. I just lived and breathed hatred for that man for a long time. And sitting down in my fifth step, talking to my sponsor, sharing what went on with that, I was able to see that I was the one that had been carrying around that hate for the last eight years. I hadn't seen him and he hadn't been in my life, so how could he have been 
affecting me in any way. It was it was my responsibility that I was responsible for allowing that to continue on, and it was I was wrong for not being able to accept him for who he was. I was wrong for not being able to forgive him for things that I thought was wrong, and. Uh, I don't know, it just, my fifth step just changed my life. Everything that was everyone else's fault, um, all became my fault. I was able to see that for the first time, and I didn't feel too good when it was over. Um, just aware of the truth that my life was where it was, because that's where I had taken it. That's where I had gone to, and we talked about character defects, you know, the, the part of me that these things kind of came from. I like the seven deadly sins. It, it fits me. Every every time I have a problem and I take an inventory, it comes down to one of those areas, and it all falls back to I'm just being selfish. Um, <clears throat> John tells me sometimes that I'm acting like I'm 14 years old. Says that I'm childish, and uh, and that's just the truth. I see things I don't like, and and I throw a fit, or I get sad, or I get scared, and just because it's not going my way, just like a child. But I would almost think that seeing how everything in my life, how all of my problems were my own making, that I could go through the rest of my life just being aware of that when things come up. But it just hadn't been that way. I Every single day, things come up. Someone will say something or something will happen, and my mind just goes to goes to thinking about it and and I find things wrong and it's and it's their fault and I get upset until I take an inventory. You know, inventories are so such an important part of my program today because without that, you know, I don't know what I'm asking God to take away. You know, I don't know what's in between me and God if I don't take a look at it. But uh you know, back to after the fifth step, he told me to go sit the hour afterwards, you know, think about the steps that I'd done before, had I left anything out. And he told me to read uh steps six and seven in the big books, just two paragraphs. And I went out to Lake Weatherford, I was on my way to my in laws that day, and I just sat there for the hour going back through it and uh I read those two paragraphs and I said that prayer and I had another awesome experience. Just, I was really willing for God to take all of me, the good and bad. I was just completely didn't want it anymore. And from the way my life had been going since I had just gotten sober a few months before, I knew that, I knew that He would take it. And, uh, just had a euphoric feeling. I can't really explain it. I just, Everything was okay, and everything was going to be okay, and there was no doubt in my mind of that, because I knew God was there, and God was going to do it for me, and I'm grateful for that, but because I felt so good from that, I decided to put off amends for a little while, because I didn't see any reason in going back to these people and telling them that I was wrong if I felt so good, you know? I, I was happy, and everything was okay, and I didn't see a reason to go back and do that just because I was scared, pretty much. But those good feelings started to go away pretty quick. And Gary, I made my list of amends I needed to make. And I was just praying for willingness to do that. I heard someone say, you know, if you're not willing to make your amends, you know, pray for willingness. So I was just praying for willingness, and I thought that was a good reason to not be doing it, because I was praying for willingness. I thought I was doing something. And... uh 
and I was, I just wasn't. You know, I can pray for things all day long, but if I'm not going to allow them to happen, or if I'm not going to do my part, they're not going to happen. Just like I can ask God, I can pray constantly for God to keep me sober and walk into a liquor store and, and get drunk. You know, it just doesn't work that way. I have to be doing my part and showing up for it. And Gary, every time I talked to Gary, any time I would complain or get mad about anything, he would just say, make your amends. You need to make your amends, you know. And then he finally started saying, you know, you're going to get drunk if you don't make your amends. Um, and he'd point the promises out to me, you know, and he'd say, you know, look how good your life has become now, but it's nothing to what it will be if you just continue on going through the steps. And because I believed him in that and because I didn't want to get drunk, uh, I started making my amends. I made my first one with my mom. I set up an appointment, went and had lunch with her, told her that I was wrong, and uh, she cried and I cried, and... uh she said everything was all right. She just told me to to keep doing what I was doing. And then uh, I had to make a second amends to her, a financial one, right after that. Because I had lived off my parents for a long time. I was never responsible for myself. Even when I would work, you know, they would pay my rent. They would buy groceries. They would, they just did everything for me if I asked them to. And I owed this woman a lot of money. And I got off kind of easy. Um, I asked her what I could do to make it right, and she said, well, you can just give me $20, and we'll call it even, and <laughs> made me really happy, and, uh, and I was okay with that, and then uh, I guess six, maybe a year after that, I heard a lady speaking at the Harbor Group, and she said that she owed her parents a lot of money, and um they did pretty much the same thing. Said, well, you know, we don't need your money. We don't want your money. You're doing all right. You don't have to pay us. But she said that, you know, she wasn't all right with that. And she went back and said, look, I know y- y'all don't need this, but I need to pay you back for me. So I told my mom, I guess about a month ago, to come up with a price that I owe her so I can start paying back the money that I owe her. And that's stuff that I don't want to do, but <clears throat> I think that it's, it's what God would have me do, you know. It's uh, just doing one more thing to try to to try to live right. And uh, I don't know. Um, all my amends have really gone well. Um, I've never had anybody tell me to, you know, get out of their house and don't come back. They don't have anything to do with me. Um, I made all the amends to my family really fast. Uh, after the first one went so well and uh, they all pretty much said that they just wanted me to keep doing what I was doing um, my sisters wanted me to be a good brother to them um, they wanted me to be a good grandson a good uncle uh, a good son and I do that by continuing to show up here and continuing to take action in the steps so if I stop taking action I just turn into who I used to be you know, I'm just, I haven't had a drink in two and a half years, but I can just be, still be the same person, just not drinking. So I just have to continue taking these actions to be 
what God wants me to be. Because anytime I try to do it on my own or try to figure something out, it doesn't work, and I have to end up and I end up going back and making amends because because I start hurting people again or saying things I shouldn't and wronging people. Um, so before I did talk to my dad for about eight years, and one of my sisters was having another kid, and she was still pretty good friends. She was still had a good relationship with my dad, and I knew he would show up uh, late that night after everybody else had left. So I went out there when she had the kid, and I hung around afterwards, waiting for him to show up, um, just ready to to make an attempt at that relationship and. He showed up and I was scared to death. I had envisioned us getting in a fight and him saying this and me saying that and just all this horrible mess happening. But I showed up anyway. Don't stand on one leg if you ever get up here because it hurts. Um, I just envisioned all these bad things happening, but I was willing to show up and I asked God to take over and... I was willing to accept whatever happened because I knew that I had turned that over to God and I was willing to do my part. And he showed up. He was happy to see me. had a great conversation. And he called me the next week and invited his wife out to his house for lunch. And he had never met her before. And we'd been together for seven years at that time. And uh, we went out there. And I wasn't able to make amends to him then. I was still pretty much scared of him. And... Uh, I kind of said, you know, I've, I've made a few mistakes. And he said, yeah, we all made mistakes. And just kind of casual conversation. And uh, it wasn't until about the fourth time that, that I'd seen him. I was riding around with him in his truck. And I was able to look at him and say, look, I was wrong um, for what I had done. And I was wrong for staying away. And uh, I'm willing to do anything I can to make it right. And uh, he looked at me and said, I don't know how not to love you. And this is a guy that I just knew forever just hated me you know if he didn't hate me why would he leave and if he didn't hate me why would he say those things and do those things you know it just it didn't make sense but he started talking about his life and him growing up and he is just exactly like me um as far as the drinking and the drugs and uh, even not talking to his dad he didn't talk to his dad for 10 years until he just he said he just got tired of not having his dad and his dad welcomed him back in and just exactly like him. And I think today it's probably why I didn't like him because he was just like me. And um, But my dad's one of my best friends today. Um, I talk to him on the phone all the time. I go into his house all the time. I go hang out with him when he's working. And uh, it's just... One of the miracles that God's performed in my life, one of the things that would have never happened, happened. And one thing I like to do today is just look back on my life um, at where I was and where I am today. John's always telling me to, to measure myself, use my own yardstick when, when I measure myself. Don't compare you know, my insides to somebody else's outsides because I'll never measure up. But if I look back at how I was when I got here, how sick and pathetic and sad I was, and look at the truth of what I've become today, and know that I didn't accomplish it and I didn't do it, because if if I did, I would have done it a long time ago. But just knowing that that's God working in my life, and that that's just God 
using me when I don't even know he's doing it. When I got my, my one-year chip, um, Gary got up here to introduce me, and he said that uh, that meeting that he was in, that he got up to leave early, he said that he had made a decision to, to leave Alcoholics Anonymous. He was just going to, he didn't want to be up here anymore. And uh, God put me in his life, and it caused him to stay. And I was just a silk, sick, selfish kid, and I was able to see that God had used me back then, you know, for something that had nothing to do with me. And, and it just broke my heart. It didn't break my heart, it just wanted to explode just knowing that God's everywhere and always doing stuff. And uh, <laughs> it, just, it just blows me away. Um, <clears throat> after I started going along making my amends, we sat down and we started talking about uh, steps 10, 11, and 12. Um, I really didn't for a while do very much work with uh, continuing to take my own inventory. I'd do a spot check inventory like if I'd get mad you know, at something, I'd realize that I wasn't happy. I'd realize, you know, those promises really aren't going on in my life right now and that joy would leave me. Um, I'd take a look at it and I'd call my sponsor and I'd talk about it and I could see, you know, once again just like in a fifth step, you know, what my part was and how I was keeping myself from God and how I was causing problems again. And in turn, when I can see that, I am entirely willing to have God take it all away because I want to be happy and because I want to be useful. And I say the prayer and ask God to take it away and just direct my thinking towards, most of the time, just what I'm doing. You know, if I'm at work, I need to be doing the best job I can do at work. If I'm not doing anything, I need to call some people, see how they're doing. I need to get up here early and make some coffee or arrange chairs. I need to... There's always stuff that I can do. And when I got John as a sponsor, he told me to start journaling every night. He said, every night, you know, before you go to bed, start writing. And uh, the way I I do written inventories now is kind of in a, in a journal fashion. Um, I, I'll write down what's going on throughout the day, what I'm doing, and... The questions there in the book, big book, you know, where were we selfish? Where were we thinking of ourselves most of the time? Where, you know, all that stuff. I can just write it out and uh, really see more clearly what's going on in my life. And I find that when I do rest on my laurels and when I do take vacations from writing, I end up like way over here and not even know it because I'm not aware as much of of God in my life, and and I guess I I seem to forget what my purpose is. Um, I get wrapped up in work a lot. I've had a hard time with work. I'm very employable, and I work a lot, but I've changed jobs ten times in the last two years. Just from just where I'm still sick, I see something I don't like, and I quit. <laughs> but uh, I'm able to see more clearly that that, you know, John reminds me a lot. He always asks me who my employer is, and i got to answer him, it's God, and God is my employer. And that's really what my business is, is just trying to seek and do God's will and show up for life. 
you know, where I am today and what I'm doing is not where I set out to be. Um, if I would have set out to be somewhere, it probably wouldn't be here. Um, not that this is bad, but just I have always had bigger and better ideas. <laughs> just from being, from being so selfish. But, uh, you know, I ask God for direction, and I'm, and if I take these actions, you know, life is just out of my hands. Um, if I really make a decision to turn everything over to God, I have no right to bitch about where my life is. If I'm doing this stuff, if I'm doing my part, if I'm showing up, because that's where God has me for whatever reason. I might not be able to see it and I might not like it at the time, but if I look at it in that way, I'm able to accept life because I know that just God's going to provide and wherever I am tomorrow or next week or next year is going to be alright if I continue to do this stuff and if I continue to stay out of the way if I just continue to let God do these things for me um, when I got through the steps and I was I went up to Gary and I said you know there's, there's got to be more you know I want more out of this and he said if you want more you have to give it away he said start handing uh, your numbers your number out to people when they come in. You know, if anybody gets a tip, give them your number. I started doing that. I started giving people my number. Nobody would ask me to sponsor them. Um, and that went on for probably a few months. And then uh, one day I was standing out on the porch talking to Gavin and Nick walks up. And he says, I was kind of wanting some information on some sponsorship. And uh, I said, well, you can just call me tomorrow. And... Uh, <laughs> and I didn't think he was going to call. I didn't like him when I first saw him. I just thought, this is just some kid coming in here. He came in with uh, with a girl, and I thought, well, he's just here for her. She's been coming around for a month or two, and you know, you know, I just didn't like him. I just a lot of contempt prior to investigation. But he actually. He actually called me, and that scared me to death. I had to call Gary up, and I said, this guy's actually calling. <laughs> what, do, what do I do? What do I say? What's what's going on? And he said, just uh, just be honest with him. Just tell him what you've done, you know. Just tell him what your life was like and what your experience was in the steps, what you did, and, and what it's like today. And he can take the action that you took out of the book and... And he'll be all right. And he told me that I'm not responsible for him or anyone else staying sober. I believe if, if somebody comes in here and they really want this deal and if they're drinking and they're willing, you know, if they have the, the complete defeat and an honest desire to help, there's nothing that anybody can say that will chase them off. And if somebody's not willing to do this deal and not willing to quit drinking, there's nothing that we can say to keep them here. So it kind of, kind of takes the pressure off, um, thinking that, I might be responsible for someone's life. And uh, I just started doing with him what, what Gary did with me. We'd get together, we'd, we'd talk about, about life, about the big book, about the steps. And sponsoring people has been the greatest thing in my life. It's, it's definitely a front row seat to a miracle. To see someone's life change so much and so drastically. And to see God in their life and see them go from where they were, just like I was, you know, just sick, sad, and sorry, into... A beautiful person with God in their life. It's, it's the best thing in the world. Um, if that's all I got out of this, that would be enough. Um, I sponsored a bunch of guys that, guys that have gotten drunk and, uh, a few guys that have stayed sober and 
even the ones that get drunk, I get something out of that because if I'm not talking to newcomers, if I'm not talking to people that have just been out there drinking like I was, I tend to just forget sometimes of how my life was. Um, I just start looking around at how it is today and I'm alright with it. And if I don't remember my first step experience, if I don't remember that fear and that pain, and if I don't remember that I'm going to die if I don't continue to do this, I'm not going to continue to do this. Um, I said before, I've had different moments where I just rest on my laurels and I stop taking the action. Um, the greatest thing... Sorry. greatest thing that uh, you can get out of this deal is, is sobriety. Um, I've wanted to drink really bad only one time in the last two and a half years. I went up to Muskogee, Oklahoma to work, and I was there for a week. And I didn't go to any meetings. I didn't call my sponsor. I didn't read the book. I didn't do any writing. All I did was I, I prayed. You know, I'd pray in the morning for God to keep me sober. And I think the only reason that I did not drink is because I had asked God to keep me sober, and I really wanted him to. But I was uh, around a bunch of cable guys, and... They uh, were all drinking. I was sharing a room with a guy who was smoking speed out of a light bulb, just a real dirty area to be in. And uh, it started looking really good, though. But when I realized that, that I was actually wanting that, that scared me to death, and I asked God to take it away. And it was amazing how quick I wanted to stay sober. Um, I did not want it anymore. I didn't just jump right back into being happy. That didn't happen until I started taking the action again of taking inventories, getting honest with my sponsor, finding where I'm at fault and continuing to seek God for the solutions in life. But John says sometimes I have to to make mistakes or to stop doing things just to remind myself of, of why I'm here and, and what I'm doing here and why I have to continue to turn this stuff over to God um, and continue to seek Him because every single time every single time I stop I get in a bad spot uh, something that I'm grateful for is it seems that the longer I stay here those those periods of time that, that I stop taking action have gotten shorter and shorter and uh, I think that's because my my ability to uh, live with pain is has gotten smaller um a lot of people talk about the road getting narrow, narrower, and I think that has a lot to do with it. I have to take a lot more action a lot more of the time to to stay on the path. What I was able to get away with at six months sober, I'm just not able to get away with anymore. Um, my wife doesn't smoke. She hates smoking. And uh, she told me not to smoke in her car. Well, anytime I would have it by myself, I'd be smoking in it and be perfectly all right with it because she never smelled it and I'd air it out and everything was okay. And then... Uh, one day I drove her grandmother from uh, Galveston back to Fort Worth and she smokes too and we just kind of made a deal that we were going to smoke and not tell her and, <laughs> and a couple of days after she got back the first time I got in the car with her she said uh, did y'all smoke in the car? and I said no <laughs> and, and the bad thing was that she believed me and uh it lasted maybe a minute and a half to two minutes, and then I just felt so bad. And and this is somebody I used to just lie to constantly on a daily basis for years, and just a little bitty thing like like smoking in her car um, just consumed me, and I hated it. And I, I said, I lied, I'm wrong, and just uh, 
you know, what can I do to make it right? He said, don't smoke in the car. <laughs> it's a real simple deal. That, uh, everything's always real simple. I just seem to complicate things so bad. But uh, my marriage with her is, is really actually amazing. I, for a long time, I thought if I was just sober, you know, everything would be okay with that. I thought, you know, she just wanted me to be sober and, and everything would be all right. And about six months ago, um, realized that we didn't really talk and we had never really talked about what was really going on with us in the last eight and a half years and just saw, just got it revealed, I guess, that, that our relationship was messed up and, uh, we sat down and talked about it and, uh, came to the agreement that we were both willing to, to, take action and show up for the marriage and, and communicate and and try to do what's right. We started praying together and uh, we just laid it out. You know, if God wants us to be together, you know, things are going to get better and we're going to be together. And if he doesn't, they're, they're going to, it's going to get worse and, and it'll fall apart. And, and I was surprising me that I was willing to accept that. Um, just for so long, I, I, I needed it so much but I found when I became willing to let it go and willing to invite God into it and just willing to accept her for who she was that was my whole problem I could not accept her for exactly who she was which is the same thing going on anytime I have a problem with anybody it's just something I can't accept um, but I realized that and and everything's better now I don't really know what's changed but it's just different, you know. I don't see how I could go in just six months to just knowing, you know, I'm going to end up getting divorced to uh, we decided to have a kid together, you know. And I used to give speeches like once a week, no kids. <laughs> just because in the back of my mind, I couldn't see, you know, us staying together forever, you know. And uh, now now she's pregnant and we're going to have a kid together and I can't imagine life without her. Um and that all came from just seeking God, you know, in in a relationship and putting God first in our relationship and just being able, being willing to show up. Um, what time is it? How long? Okay. Um, I don't know. Dennis DeLay always says Alcoholics Anonymous has given him the only good life he's ever known. I can really understand that because every single area of my life is better. Um, every single area. And I thank you people for, for showing up every day and opening up the doors and, and sharing your life with me so I can have a chance to continue this way of life. Thank you.